What is up, Nuggets fans? Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Brian Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss this Denver Nuggets win as the Nuggets defeat the Toronto Raptors 118-113. They improved to 30-4 and at home. What a crazy number. Uh, one that I did not expect from this Nuggets team heading in, but it's really cool nonetheless. Uh, I see your guys' comments. I see you're, you're, wait, you're waiting around for me. I understand. I took a little bit of time to get back from the arena tonight, but had some had some things come up. I wanted to stick around for some of the post game, and I think we got some good post game content out of it. Make sure to go follow the MHS platform on Twitter as well as Instagram. There's some great content up of there from Reggie Jackson's interview post game that I think everybody should check out, but should be a lot of fun. Uh, I know that we get onto these late. This is the midnight hour, of course, for pickaxe and roll, but I'm excited to hang out with each and every one of you on this show. And we get to now talk about the Nuggets again. We get to now talk about how they decided, ah, let's go, let's go with the Scott Foster angle on this one. Let's go with what happened towards the end of the game. We'll kick that off uh, before kind of getting into the rest of everything. Uh, so as it was explained to me, Denver in clutch time, they go down, they win the jump ball for, for uh, one thing. They win the jump ball, they go down the floor, they get to where they need to go on the floor. They, they dump it off to Aaron Gordon on the baseline. And Jakob Pertl swipes at uh, Aaron Gordon's wrist. I be- He made contact, it was pretty clear. On the replay, Scott Foster calls the foul. Obviously, it's a very weird time to call a reach-in foul in that situation. But uh, when Scotty Barnes, second-year player Scotty Barnes, then said uh, to the effect of, do you have money on this game for the Nuggets? Uh, he, He may have been whispering that under his breath, but it was certainly loud enough for Scott Foster to hear it. Scott Foster teed him up, ejected him, and the reason that he gave to pool reporter Vinny Benedetto, who's at the Colorado Springs Gazette, make sure uh, actually actually Denver Gazette now, make sure to go follow him too. Uh, the reason was they were questioning the integrity of the game was Scotty Barnes, and that was the reason why he was assessed a technical and, and ejected. And Jamal steps up, it's a clutch free throw at that point. Denver gets another two free throws from Aaron Gordon in that place. And there's just nothing that Toronto can do at that point. And what was a very close game going back and forth that really looked like it was going to go Toronto's way suddenly goes Denver's way. And it's very weird, very odd. But and like as a Nuggets fan, I understand. I understand how things go for Nuggets fans like this is. Not something that Nuggets fans, I think, are used to, getting the benefit of the doubt from a really weird referee situation. But if you're complaining about it, you should have been up by more points. That's honestly where we get we come down to this. It was very legitimate based off of the actual foul that was assessed. And then should he have ejected Scotty Barnes at that moment? Probably not. You probably just turn a blind eye. But uh, as we were talking about in the uh, media room, Scott Foster was tied to Tim Donnie in the uh, cheating scandal for referees. And so, like, those guys were tied together, whether loosely or tightly, depending on who you ask. He was clearly exonerated by for that. But I do think that that's at least part of the reason why Scott Foster blew up in the way that he did. And 
yes, it benefited Denver, but it did feel a little sticky. So I'm not necessarily that worried about it because it's just kind of one one moment in the span of a long regular season. But I do think that these games matter, especially if you're a Raptors fan, and they were very upset about the way that this ended. Obviously, some calls going Denver's way, although I do think that Denver deserved those calls based off of uh, the way that they were playing and how aggressive they were and, and, and doing the right thing, being in the right position. So look, sometimes it just comes down to that. But in general, Scott Foster made himself the main character in this game, and you never want to be that as a referee. And that's a, an unfortunate thing if you are just wanting to watch basketball. Uh, but in general... Should be fine. Let's actually get to the basketball side of things. We'll start with good guy Nikola Jokic, who through, I think, a half of basketball had either two or three shots. He was two of two, three of three, one of the two. And finishes 17 points, five of eight from the field, one of one from three. And the three that he made was so funny. It was so insane. It was a clock coming down in the first quarter. And Jokic gets the ball at the top of the key. And he just kind of like throws it up and just just not necessarily uh, not necessarily doing anything intentional. It was all very casual looking and just one of those things that uh, only Nikola Jokic can do. It was very Larry Bird-esque in my opinion where you just kind of chuck it up there and see what happens. And he's got the shooting touch and the, and the hand-eye coordination and just the talent to be able to get it done. And so that's pretty cool. Of course, he didn't shoot that much in this game, and there was a lot made of it. I actually asked Michael Malone about that post game. I asked him about OG Ananobi defending him as opposed to Jakob Pertl and what that what that was like and what Denver had to deal with there. And, and Malone was very, I thought, not not unimpressed with the Toronto defense and that that actual methodology, but understanding that look, this is the regular season. Denver still got great shots. Any op, and he said, "quote Any defense that you throw at Nikola, he's going to find a solution." Is is basically the paraphrase quote. And to me, that's what Jokic did tonight. He wasn't needed to be involved. They decided to put their best defender on him tonight in OG Ananobi. I thought OG did a great job. Like credit to him, he did a fantastic job all night in limiting some of the the possessions that Jokic had, forcing a couple extra turnovers. Not getting not getting as many shots in, in comfortable places as you would think. But I thought that Jokic was mostly in second and third gear tonight, not necessarily having to crank it up. And he made some plays down the stretch defensively that were very important and left the scoring to Jamal Murray and Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon when they decided to double team, especially baseline with OG in the post and then Jacoperto coming to help. So there were lots of great plays that Nikola Jokic made, despite the fact that he was uh, more so a, like not necessarily a bystander, but more of a secondary option tonight as opposed to the pure primary option. So good on Nikola. He, he played 36 minutes. I don't think that there were particularly stressful 36 minutes, which is great. That's what you want in this particular game where you still get the W and you get a lot of other guys who get to show off what they can do. Jamal Murray. One of the guys that could show off what he could do. <laughs> Pretty impressive stuff from Jamal. 24 points, 9 of 14 from the field, 5 of 10 from 3. Only got to the free throw line the once, and that was for the technical foul right at the end of the game. Uh, did have 5 assists and 1 rebound, 3 steals. It was a productive game from Jamal. 
There were times where I, I don't think he got off enough shots, especially in that first half. But I do think that uh, the threes that he got in that third quarter were super, super important. Not just for the record, and I see you guys chatting about it in the comments too, but I do think that Jamal, when he picked up steam in that third quarter, Denver was kind of hanging around a little bit, didn't necessarily feel like they had good momentum or anything like that. Jamal getting hot put them up, and, and he put them in the lead for at least a brief amount of time. And it was very nice to be able to see that just because they they put some interesting defensive schemes on him. They put OG on Jokic, and they put Scotty Barnes on Jamal, and then they would switch that pick and roll. At least they would, they would try to switch that pick and roll. So it was very interesting to watch Jamal kind of navigate that, and sometimes he would pull up short and hit a three. Sometimes he would curl around a screen and try to get free off of off-ball movement. There were plenty of times where Jamal would find some good rhythm, find some good spacing on the court around what Jokic was doing on the perimeter, and then take advantage of, of whatever the defense was giving. And I think he's learned like he's learned to do it in such a way that it hasn't taken away from what the rest of the team is doing at any given point. 14 shots tonight, got up and got to 24 points, just super efficient scoring. Uh, was four of five, or is that, no, it's uh, four of four from two-point range. And including one of those was a nice step back over OG and Anobi on a switch. So what Jamal is doing right now is getting as comfortable as he can possibly get before the playoffs arrive, before you have to get into that intense situation where you know that the opposing team is going to game plan for all of your strengths, all of your weaknesses, try to find out the best way to succeed. Jamal's going to do the same thing. But when Jamal was talking, he was talking about it this postgame, actually, that it's all about counters in clutch time. It's all about what you, what the team is trying to get you to do, the opposing team, the Toronto Raptors in this case, Scotty Barnes in this case. What he is trying to get you to do, then you counter. You go to another move. Or if they're trying to force you to do something, set up something and then cross it over into something else or trick the defense a little bit, just enough that you can find space and you can create a good shot attempt that you're comfortable with hitting. And, and what we know about Jamal at this point is that he's just comfortable in a lot of different moments, uh, shooting at a lot of different angles in clutch time. He could be going to his right, to his left, stepping back, driving to the rim, a floater, uh, dunking through traffic. Like he does just about everything. And to have a player who is as versatile as he is getting to different spots on the court, it is such a potent thing to be able to pair him with Jokic, who will find him in each and every single one of those spots and is also dangerous in every spot on the court. But Jokic, most especially, is dangerous in the middle. So Jamal basically ping-pongs around him a little bit, finds just an inch of space, and is very, very good at finishing those baskets when they do come down to it. And you don't have a lot of space to get it off, but he's just very comfortable doing it. So I like what he's done. I like how he has really approached this year. And I think that he's just continuing to build to what this Nuggets team needs going forward. It's going to be great. Michael Porter Jr., 32 minutes for him, 20 points. Very efficient night for him shooting. Very confident night for him shooting as well. He had 14 of his points in that first half. And I, I thought that they probably could have done a better job of getting him going in the second half or at least keeping him keeping him going. But Jamal got hot. 
AG was the benefit of different plays. Jokic had to finally score. So there, there weren't always possessions for Michael Porter to really take on. But I thought that Porter, like he just fits in so well to what this team needs as their third option. Jokic is going to be number one. Jamal's going to be number two and maybe number one from a, a field goal attempt perspective. Porter, they look for. They actively look for at various points throughout the game. And sometimes, like especially in the clutch, it, it may not manifest that way. But it does feel like throughout the, the flow of a game, in the first, second, and third quarter especially, Porter is very present in whatever they're doing. And he has found ways to be impactful. And as a scorer, as a rebounder, as a defender, he has come such a long way. I, I said this on the uh, post-game video that we posted on, on Twitter for MHS, that he has just been so impressive, and I've been so impressed with his ability to overcome a lot of what he's had to overcome physically in order to be the player that he is. It takes a lot more than I think people are giving him credit for nationally, where he's coming back from three back surgeries and doing what he's doing right now, and this is the best year of his career. Maybe not statistically from a points perspective, but this is kind of what I expected him to look like if he was able to stay healthy. And he has stayed healthy, done really well. Uh, he said apparently that he was just a little bit tired waking up uh, this morning. So we will see. Uh, we'll see whether because he got onto the injury report with the non-COVID illness. So he was just seemed a little bit drained. But uh, glad he was able to stick it out. Glad he was able to play. And hopefully that continues to go well. Couple more before we hit a break. Aaron Gordon, the beneficiary of the Jokic uh, kind of assignments that OG Ananobi had, Jakob Pertl had to come over and double on several occasions, and it left Aaron Gordon free under the basket a lot of times to get a dunk, to get a tip in, to get a uh, just a, a backdoor cut, whatever whatever it may be. Thirty minutes, nineteen points, seven of twelve. Six rebounds, five assists, two steals, one block. He filled up the box score in a great way. Uh, you love to see the way that Denver was passing tonight. Jokic obviously didn't get the triple-double. He got the Sombor double. Uh, but Aaron Gordon got five assists. Murray got five. KCP got four. Reggie Jackson got five off the bench. Denver had 30 assists compared to 13 turnovers as a team. And it just goes to show how healthy Denver is right now as a ball movement, sharing the basketball kind of team. I thought Toronto played a fantastic game tonight. I thought that they had a great game plan, and it just didn't matter. And Aaron Gordon's one of those beneficiaries where sometimes Michael Porter's going to get open. Sometimes Jamal Murray's going to get open. Nicola, same thing. Aaron Gordon, like, he is the team, he is the opposing team's last, like, line of the, of the stat, of the, what am I thinking of? Of the actual uh, report, whatever, the scouting report. That's what I'm thinking of. He is one of the last lines on that scouting report at the beginning because like, there are certain things that he, he does where he steps in and he gets offensive rebounds and he gets cuts and he kind of plays a, a nice complimentary way to what the Nuggets need at the time. But when you don't or when, when you're not ready for that and you have to overload to Jokic, Aaron Gordon is the guy who benefits the most. It's not Murray. It's not Porter. It is Gordon. And Denver looks for him often. And it's great to see him continue to stay productive in that. Uh, I thought he also had a great defensive game as well. I thought that Pascal Siakam was fine, not great. I thought that when he was defending Scotty Barnes, Scotty Barnes was fine, not great. 
those guys weren't even really the the biggest scorers there for for Toronto. It was Fred Van Vliet with 21 points and 14 assists, and it was Jakob Ertl, who, uh, let's just be honest, Jokic, not his best defensive game, although there were a lot of guys in the postgamer that stepped that, that kind of stood up for Jokic's defense. I did not think that this was a great defensive game from Jokic. They just made timely plays, and that's great. And lastly, KCP, not a great shooting performance from KCP. He staggered with the bench tonight, and I think that that is a direct reflection of his shooting splits, of the actual space that he got, of uh, some of the, the other things like in the box score. Had four assists, was creating a little bit off the dribble, uh, had a steal, which is fine. He, he probably could have had more. Six points on three of ten is obviously never good. He, he's very rarely going to miss that many shots. It's a wonder that he doesn't do that as often because he has been such a metronome for this Nuggets team that it's never been really a question what, what KCP is doing on a consistent basis. So sometimes you have a bad shooting game. I thought that KCP's defense, especially down the stretch, was really, really good. And I think that uh, Toronto just did a lot of contested shots tonight. There was a lot of stuff that Denver just couldn't really deal with and, and couldn't really uh, count. And then that's fine. They just outlasted Toronto in, in such a way that KCP, when he got the timely stops that he did, that was all that really mattered. So good on him. Not necessarily his best performance or anything, but he was still a plus eight. And that is what matters, especially when he's already staggered with the bench. So good stuff. All right, tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to circle back to the bench lineup, including a, a performance from Reggie Jackson that I was surprised got uh, as good as it did. But first, this podcast, as everybody knows, is brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook. Make 2023 the year you beat Vegas. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer, computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports. Just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets anywhere. So make sure to download the Superbook Sports app or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love in the comments. Uh, got some people listening right now. Make sure to go give us a like. Make sure to hang out with us and, and see if we can do this a cons- make this a consistent thing. As I realize very slowly that it is twelve twenty and I'm starting to start to fade, but we're, we're gonna we're gonna keep it up. We're gonna keep up the energy. Let's go, um, Jeff Morton. Uh, I'm going to pull up this comment, Michael. Uh, apparently, Mo Dekeel from The Athletic was perplexed at the praise Altitude was giving Jokic. What a weirdo. Uh, I like Mo. I think he's I think he's really good at his job. I think he has a bias towards the Clippers because he worked in the Clippers organization. And I think that because the Nuggets have just, just, just made it so that the Clippers do not exist anymore on this face of the earth, like, I think that there's probably some bias there, too. But... Either way, like Mo has always thought that Giannis was the best player in the world or Joel Embiid wanted the MVP too. So this doesn't really surprise me. 
it could be worse. Um, but either way, let's get into the bench lineup. And by the way, thanks for hanging out with me, Jeff. I, I really do appreciate you, my friend. Um, bench lineup. Reggie Jackson, KCP, Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, Thomas Bryant. It was funny. I think that the only reason that KCP staggered with the bench lineup tonight was because Jamal started the first and third quarters really well and then really tailed off right when the, right after the sub happened. It's pretty funny. Uh, usually, Michael Malone has said that he has wanted to keep Jamal in there if he's hot, if he is shooting well, if he's playing well. You want to make sure that you're not taking out a guy from the normal rotation when they are hot. I think that that is exactly what happened tonight. It wasn't an intentional thing that KCP was out there with the bench unit, but this is just kind of what, what happens. It's a good thing that you have flexible veterans, that you have players that are willing and able to play different roles and aren't necessarily worried about when exactly they play. They just know that, hey, it's a possibility that I come out. It's a possibility that I go back in with the with the second unit. And that's fine. Uh, but good on KCP for being a good vet and knowing exactly what it takes in, in, in this kind of circumstance. Reggie Jackson. We're going to talk about Reggie. I could not believe Reggie's three-point shooting efficiency when I looked at it in the box score today. Three of four from three. That is the most important thing when it comes to his line. Uh, five of 11 from two. I thought that he was in general sloppy with the basketball tonight. And that's fine. I thought that his first, uh, especially the first stint, but even when he came in during the third quarter, I thought that there were so many times where I was just, I was perplexed at some of the decision-making that he had, some of the plays that he had. There were like not as much about the, the defense or anything like that, though he wasn't really making that much of an impact defensively until the fourth quarter. Could say the same about every nugget. Um, I do think that there were a lot of things that Reggie did that I was very confused about. And it's it's one of those things where, okay, you start to, have things spiral, you start to have things, okay, it's, it's been a few games, you, you want to make sure that he's starting to figure it out, do well a little bit, but it wasn't happening. And then it started to happen in the fourth quarter. He hit some very clutch shots, he had some very clutch plays, had a nice defensive play too in that fourth quarter, and he actually stuck around from the 12-minute mark at the beginning of the quarter to about the four-minute mark, and that's when he ultimately came out and was replaced by KCP down the stretch who was kind of taking a break in the middle of the quarter due to the stagger. So Reggie has gotten some reps now. Reggie has gotten some playing time with both the starters and with the second unit. And I do think that it is going to benefit him. I do think that it is going to be of a, a massive benefit in general for him to see how this team plays, to not be pulled immediately when things are going poorly, and to... like have Michael Malone trust him and the rest of the team trust him and they know that things are going to be slow and that's okay. This is one of the things where being the first seed and not necessarily being the, the fifth seed or the sixth seed, like you have different amounts of flexibility here. So Denver was able to kind of survive some of that and then they benefited from it in the fourth quarter when Reggie got hot. I think he hit a couple of his threes in that quarter and just made some plays, made some important plays that Denver absolutely needed at the time. And that's one of those things that you're always going to have to circle back to, I think. Reggie is still trying to figure it out. I think this is his seventh game with the Nuggets. If I'm, it might be his sixth, actually. But in general, it's just been so short a time period for him. 
he spoke after the game and, and he spoke about how he was just so thankful for the team to give him at least a little bit of flexibility and, and not just yank him around and not have any major expectations for him as he tries to learn and tries to absorb as much of the information that's being thrown at him as possible. He made some bad plays. He also made up for it with some good ones. And I had a tweet earlier that was like, I have no idea what he's doing. He, I nearly deleted it because it was, it was a ultimately a bad take because I think he made a positive impact on this game and deserves credit for that in a very, very tough circumstance. So good on him for doing what he could do. Uh, Freddie says two of those threes were absolute prayers. You know, you might be right, Freddie, but they were answered. That's true. That's a, that's a very fair, very fair assessment. But I do think it's important that, hey, sometimes Denver has things go their way. I thought that the Toronto Raptors benefited from some positive shot luck in the first half. So Denver got some good luck in the second half. That's just sort of how it works. Um, Bruce Brown now. Bruce Brown had a horrible game. <laughs> Unlike Reggie, who I think turned it around from a shooting perspective, made some valuable contributions. Bruce did get a, he got a steal. And then I think took that coast to coast for either a layup or some fouls or something like that. Bruce for this game was very much struggling. Just very, very, very much. And it's fine because he is a role player. And sometimes I forget that because I see him as a player that is in Michael Malone's circle of trust so deeply that like you kind of have to treat him like a sixth starter. Like that's just kind of how I have been treating him. And I think that's kind of how the Nuggets would like to, to continue to view him. But he didn't play well tonight, and it's going to happen. 0 of 5 from 3. I continue to be at least a little bit worried about what's going to happen in a playoff series when a team is just going to dare him to shoot, especially in a road arena, and he just doesn't make those threes. Could be one of five, oh of four, whatever the number is, and, and it could all be consecutively, where it's in like the second quarter or something. And then the opposing team, they benefit from that, they get out and run, they get some valuable contributions, and the Nuggets, they still have to trust Bruce Brown, they still have to make sure that he shoots it, but then Bruce starts thinking about it. And I think that that's going to be one of those things that just going to have to cross that bridge when you come to it. But it wouldn't surprise me if it, it looks a little bit different in the playoffs. Or maybe Bruce just hits all those shots. He's, he's been pretty good for the entire season. So maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me being a little bit overly hard on him, expecting too much. But I do think that Denver, they need that guy. They need him or they need Reggie to be able to come off the bench, provide some extra ball handling, provide some extra creation. And I just was struck with the the lineup that was out there in the second half, or especially in that fourth quarter, that you've got Reggie out there, you've got Bruce, you've got KCP. Which of those which of those guys do you really trust the most running a pick and roll? I don't know. I don't know who the answer is, and I'm trying to figure it out still. I think that the answer is probably stagger Jamal instead. But I do think that that's going to be one of Denver's weaknesses when it comes down to it. And those guys are going to have to prove it, especially Bruce. He's going to, like, if he wants the bag in this offseason, he's going to have to prove it for sure. But look, everybody's allowed a bad game here or there. He still made some good positive contributions on the defensive end. Hard to be overly critical, though he was a team low minus eight in the plus minus tonight. So Denver, they, they weren't at their best with him or with 
this next guy on the court, Jeff Green. Jeff Green, he gets a, I think he gets a pass. I think Jeff Green gets a pass for this particular matchup for a number of reasons. The first one is that he was awesome in Memphis, or he was awesome against Memphis, helped Denver win that game with his defense. Uh, there were certain, there were some things that he could have done better tonight, but mostly he played the same way, just didn't necessarily have as much impact as a rim protector this time around. That's fine. Sometimes it's going to happen that way. Sometimes it's not. I do think that Jeff, everybody would probably prefer Vlaco in there at this point, and I do think that that is what the pecking order is, but Jeff is going to earn that. And while Vlaco is out with this sprained wrist, uh, you need Jeff. You need him to provide some minutes. And he did provide some minutes. Like the dunk that he had in the first quarter going down Main Street through traffic was sick. That was a sick dunk. And, and just like he, he is absolutely live to do that at least once a game. And for him to be able to do that, it, it provides energy in its own way. And sometimes you forget about it because like, okay, you go it's the first quarter. Okay, it happened in the first quarter. Then things happened in the second, third, and fourth. I do think that he could benefit from, like, he just needs to make additional defensive plays if if Denver is going to be the team that they, they want to be with him on the court. He's going to have to do that. Maybe this isn't the, it, this game wasn't the most important from a defensive effort standpoint. Like, if they had lost this game, I would still come on here and be like, yeah, they're still a strong Western Conference favorite. Like, they should be. This doesn't, it wouldn't have really changed anything. And, Jeff Green providing a couple extra defensive help side stops wouldn't have really helped anything either. So, look, we've seen what he can do when he ramps it up. I'm more worried about that in general than I am worried about how he does against Toronto, especially a team like Toronto where you've got these switchable defensive wings and it's just so athletic all the time. And then, like, Jeff Green may not be the best athlete on the court in those situations. And, like, Having all that youth and all of those versatile pieces that get up and down, it could be tough to for a 35-year-old to keep up. And that's fine. So, look, Jeff is going to be fine. I am curious to see when Flacco ultimately does come back. But until he does, expect Jeff to play the 18 to 20-minute-per-game role as that backup power forward pretty consistently. Thomas Bryant. Uh, Reggie Jackson actually had an interesting point in his postgame presser. He said, Thomas Bryant only played 12 minutes. I need to be better, uh, was what Reggie Jackson said. And I think that he has a point there that he does need to be better. And there are ways that he can step up and help Thomas Bryant out a little bit, make make it so that he's playing 15 minutes as opposed to 12. And, and that means Joker only has to play 33 as opposed to 36 in a game like this. But I do not think that Thomas had a great impact in this one. I put zero steals or blocks in the banner below just because I think that that's important against a team like Toronto. Uh, Thomas Bryant has to provide some help side rim protection. He's got to provide something. Jokic obviously isn't going to be a major rim protector. Nobody's expecting Thomas to be like this massive rim protector either. But against the Toronto bench, which isn't a great unit, You've got Precious Achua at the five. You've got Chris Boucher at the four. They have Scotty Barnes at the three. Like There should be opportunities at the rim for Thomas Bryant to make some plays. And he had four points. He had a couple offensive rebounds. Does get credit for those. Don't get me wrong. Uh, actually, he didn't have a couple offensive rebounds. I thought he did, but four defensive rebounds. 
he just wasn't as productive as I think you'd want him to be. Whether they're not playing through him enough, or they are not setting him up well enough, or they are not putting him in a position to succeed defensively, I don't really know. He's only a minus two in 12 minutes, though. So that's that's really where this comes down to, right? Like I could have all these criticisms in the world. I could be Nuggets or whatever you want to call him. But if Thomas Bryant is only a minus two in his 12 minutes, that means that Jokic has to be at least a plus three for Denver to win. And normally, Jokic is like a plus 10. So this isn't something where I think Jokic has to be, like he doesn't have to be Superman here because Thomas Bryant is actually doing some good things and the Nuggets are finding ways with that bench unit to make it work. Uh, in general, I think they could do better at times, but Thomas Bryant still fills that role and he still does it reasonably well. And in, in general, like the plus minus is what matters most. The reason why Denver lost uh, the Memphis game was because the plus minus wasn't really where it needed to be, but also kind of like with Joker, like Joker's plus minus really was there. That was a big issue with Thomas Bryant. As long as he keeps it within range, Denver's going to be fine. And there are ways that I think that they could help him out a little bit better. I think the chemistry that he has with Jamal is a little bit better than the chemistry he has with Reggie or with Bruce or anybody like that. I do think that Jamal can set him up just a little bit better, but we're going to see. Uh, I do think that Christian Brown also looks for him. So if Denver's looking to change up the rotation a little bit, give Thomas Bryant some better opportunities, I do think that Christian Brown would help him out. Like Christian wants to look for him. He, he, look, he had that lob to him. He also has some dump-off plays. So there are some ways that they could get him more involved that don't just involve like post-ups. So they could do better. But in general, really good win. Really good win for Denver. Finding a way is really the identity for this Nuggets team. They just find a way. They just do what they need to do in this case. And it, it wasn't anything special. It wasn't anything crazy. They just dug deep, found an extra gear, and the Toronto Raptors just didn't have that. The Nuggets came up big. Jamal Murray came up big. And it wasn't a, a thing that Toronto did in response. And get a nice little assist from Scott Foster, but that's really all that matters. So, but tell you what, let's take one more break. When we come back, we are going to discuss. Uh, a couple of things, but I want to talk about the belief level for this team as as kind of the, the primary ending to the segment. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Pickaxe and Roll Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Final segment. Uh, make sure to like the video. Make sure to uh, subscribe to the NHS YouTube channel. Check out everything that's going on there. And make sure to, if, you, if you're watching on YouTube, then great. If you are listening to the audio side, make sure to go give that a rating and review as well. Those absolutely help me. Still trying to get up to 200 ratings on that side of things. That would really, really help me out. So thank you, everybody, so very much. All right. 46-19 and 19 record. 34 are 30 and 4, excuse me, at home. That's fantastic. Like I could stop it right there. You do not have to do anything else. They will have to improve, as I've mentioned previously. They will have to improve that road record. They have plenty of opportunities to do it over the course of these next few weeks. Ten more games on the road. If Denver goes six and four, they will finish the year 22 and 19 on the road. That's good enough. If they go even better, like seven and three. 
get to 23 and 18. Fantastic. I don't know what Denver's record is, or not record. I don't know what the actual like bar that they have set as a franchise. I'm pretty sure they had five or 25 wins on the road last year, but that was because their home record was so bad. Like 30 and four at home this year is insane. It's patently nuts. And the fact that they're able to do that and defend this building at the level that they do, that is such a big deal for teams coming in. Like they'll have the ability to adjust to altitude and make sure that like the, the actual altitude itself isn't what's killing people. But I don't really think that's it. When I think of what Denver's doing right now, I think they just hit you in waves. It's not necessarily the altitude that's hitting you in waves, although I'm not playing, so maybe that's a little bit different. But the way that Denver locks in, especially in the second half, I do think that, especially at home, there is a very, very strong belief in this team. And we'll talk about that in just a bit. Magic number for a top four seed is down to five. That means that Denver could lose every single game between now and the end of the season. They could go 0-17, and they would probably still get a top four seed. That's crazy. That's a, that's an insane thing, that's same, insane thing to do, and Denver has separated themselves at the top as much as they have and has put them into a great position where they are able to kind of approach this from a, a business-like standpoint where they don't necessarily have to spend every resource at the end of these, at the end of the season. Like last year, they really had the scratch and claw for seeding last year. They had to make sure that they clinched uh, a top six seed. And they were able to do that in the second to last game of the season in game 81 and were able to rest exactly one game. They got one game of rest last year. And now think about what they're going to get this year. Like they'll be able to clinch not just uh, the top four seed, but they'll have a magic number of 11 for the top of the West. 11 with 17 games to go. That helps when Memphis loses. It helps when Sacramento, like, I think they just lost their last game as well. Like They are getting some assistance from the rest of the top of the West. And I think that there are still ways that that is going to kind of flip up where I don't know if Memphis is going to finish in the top three. I don't know if Memphis is even going to finish. Uh, like they, they might finish four. They might finish five. And Denver could have to face them in the second round. Uh, or they could get eliminated in the first round as a, as a three seed. And we still have to figure that out. But the West is still wide open, folks. They're, I mean, not, not, not from a competitive standpoint. I do think that it's Denver and it's Phoenix, and it's maybe Golden State. Beyond those three teams, I just don't see any actual challengers right now. And so Denver has figured that out with 17 games to go. They don't have to stress themselves. They don't have to push themselves too hard. And I do think that they're going to be able to get a lot of rest, even over the course of these next three weeks. Uh, they aren't going to have to play every single player in order to get the requisite wins that they need. They probably need, like, I don't know, seven wins. Between now and the end of the season, in order to get it done, because I think that Sacramento and Memphis are probably each going to lose at least four more times. So, not really worried about. It. I think that Denver is in a great spot, and they have put themselves there. They have absolutely put themselves there. I want to talk about the belief level. I think that just based off of various conversations with folks around the team based off of interviewing the players, that the belief level for this team is at an all-time high. 
They know what they have. They know what they have is special. They believe that the team that they are bringing to the playoffs is a team that is capable of winning the title, going up against anybody. They know it's going to be hard to go against Phoenix, to go against Boston or Milwaukee or Philly or any team like that. They know they have demons to, to crush if they go against Golden State. They know they have demons against Phoenix. They, they've seen each of those teams and know exactly how potent and dangerous they can be. They know how dangerous a team like, I don't know, the Lakers can be. If the Lakers could ever actually make the play. Like we'll, we'll actually see about that. But I do think that listening to the players speak about this, they are very self-confident. They do not want to jinx it. They do not want to go hemming and like, like just hollering about it at everybody. They are not fine in the West, like Ja said. They are not uh, one of those teams that is going to crow about just how good they are. They are going to prove it. And they know they can be like the rug can be ripped out from under them at any time. So they are not getting ahead of themselves at all. Jamal Murray, uh, he spoke today at the postgame presser, and this is his mentality the entire time. It's just getting through to the next game. He is not going to worry about the playoffs. And, and maybe you can start asking those questions when they actually clinch the one seed. But in general, none of those guys want to think about what the postseason is like. They know that they still have another month. Like they've literally still got another month of basketball games before even being able to think about that. So Denver's going to go through it. They are going to navigate the rest of this and try to do it as expertly and deftly as they possibly can. And they'll pick up some wins along the way. They'll pick up some important bullet points along the way where you know what you have to do in order to be the best version of yourself. And they'll be able to make it happen. But what really matters is when the going gets tough and when you're down six like they were today, again, uh, with like 2.15 left in the game, you're down six, you need some buckets. There was a moment where the Raptors made a basket and you could feel the energy in the crowd start to really shift. Everybody was very uneasy about, okay, are they actually not going to do this? That's tough. That's crazy. They've done it every time. And then Jamal hits a clutch three. And suddenly, with two minutes remaining, the margin is three. And then the margin is one. And then the margin is you're leading by one. And then the margin is three. And then the margin is five. And you just see how meticulous and how detail-oriented and how confident the Nuggets are in those situations where it doesn't matter what the time or the score is. When they choose to lock in, at that particular moment, opposing teams know and opposing teams understand that Denver has a gear. They have an absolute gear that I don't know if any team in the NBA can match. I don't know if they can. Like Golden State, when they when they start rolling, they're a lot of fun, but they haven't hit that gear yet this season. Phoenix, we don't know whether they're going to be able to hit that gear or not. Like There's still so little time that they have to figure these things out. They'll probably be way better now, or way better in a month than they are now. But whether that's good enough to match what the Nuggets have done, I don't know. I think that Milwaukee has shown the ability to kind of choke the life out of various teams with their defense, but their offense doesn't have a gear. They do not have 
a strong offense that you can rely upon where, okay, the opposing team figures some stuff out, then you figure, like, you can match them blow for blow and then actually surpass them in, in those moments. I think Boston has a gear. I think that that's one team that I would be not not concerned about, but like, okay, they can match you blow for blow and they can also lock in and defend when necessary. But I also don't know if I trust Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as much as I, tr- as I trust Jokic and Murray. Again, I think that's fair. I think what Jokic and Murray have done has been awesome. I think that what those guys continue to do, people are going to, they're going to remember. They're going to start to figure it out. Where It's going to look a lot like the bubble. Maybe not from the actual dynamics of it, but just from the talent perspective and the actual teams involved. That the Nuggets, the belief that they had in those locker rooms was strong. It was very high. The resilience was there. That was their defining trait, was their resiliency and their ability to survive, even though nobody else believed in them. Now, a lot of people do believe in them. Maybe not the national folks that maybe the Nuggets actually care about. or. Maybe they don't care about that at all. Maybe they're just going to put that behind them. and be like, hey, we're just going to go about our own business. We don't care if you like us or not. We don't care if you cover us or not. We don't care if we give you sound or not. We're just going to go about our business. And I think that that has been healthy for this Nuggets team. That's the mentality that they've needed because they have just put their nose to the grindstone in these situations and played basketball. And it hasn't been dramatic. It hasn't been... Uh, filled with these vast ups and downs. It has been a steady metronome of good. And sometimes that's what you need. I do think that Denver also has this room for great. Uh, And they believe in themselves. They believe that they can do it. Reggie Jackson, what he said today, uh, you should go listen to the full soundbite on MHS Twitter. Uh, Anila posted it there. It's really good. It was off a question that I asked, but he gave a full like two, two and a half minute answer on what he's learned about this Nuggets team. And I think it's important to give Reggie a lot of credit here because I remember Austin Rivers coming in and saying a lot of similar things and he meant them and Reggie means them too. I do genuinely believe that. He's not just pandering to the audience, but when he says, when you hear the way they talk, they being the Nuggets, this isn't something they lucked into. This is something they manifested. I think he sees the hard work. I think he sees, uh, he mentioned the continuity that Jokic and Murray have had and the Nuggets have had as a whole during this stretch. They have gone through the ups and downs. They've gone through the trials and tribulations. They know what it takes in these moments in order to rise above all the noise, in order to rise above any various defenses that they faced or offenses that they, that they faced. They know what it takes in these clutch moments, and it's why they have the best clutch net rating in the NBA. And it's like easily the best clutch net rating in the NBA because they have a great offense and a fantastic defense. And they've been able to do it. It's something that they've worked at. It's something that they've put time into. It's something that they've let grow. They have let it, uh, they've nurtured it. They have not tried to trade Murray or Porter or anybody like that, they have instead tried to bolster what they've done. Where Jokic, you found a formula that works with him and with Murray and with Porter. You trade for Gordon and you bolster it. You add KCP. You add Bruce Brown. You add players that believe in what you're doing and believe in the system and believe in the players 
and believe in the coaching and believe in the talent. The belief is at an all-time high, and Reggie sees it. He sees it, and it's only been like three weeks since he's been around. Has not been a long time, but he has been involved. He has been appreciated by this Nuggets group, and he feels that, and he appreciates it too. So I'm hoping that this isn't just something that's pandering. This isn't something that's just uh, lip service. I think that this is a real mentality that he feels. I think this is a real mentality that a lot of the Nuggets feel. And I know for a fact that this Nuggets team believes that they can go all the way and that they should go all the way. But they aren't going to be gifted into it. They're going to have to work for it. They're going to have to manifest it. They are not going to get the benefit of the doubt that Phoenix is getting or Golden State is getting or the Boston Celtics are getting or the Sixers are getting or the Bucks are getting. None of those teams are going to, like, like they're all going to get the benefit. Denver's not. Denver's kind of blue-collar in that way. They're not going to benefit and pander to a national audience. They're going to have to earn it, and they have. And then being able to do this has been super, super impressive and super, super important. They found the foundation that they need. They've embodied what Jokic means and what he does. And I am very, very impressed with where this team is at. I think Reggie, despite the fact that I have some qualms on his role and what the ups and downs are going to look like, have some concerns. I do think that he is a part of this now, and I do think that the Nuggets are a part of something special. I think that if they're going to do it at all, this is going to be the year. And the belief is going to be the biggest reason why. Michael, hit that outro music. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, we got to see Thrill in the building. He was in the he was in the behind the scenes areas for us with a lot for a while. He was on the court, sharing the court with Murray. That was pretty cool. Obviously, Jamal didn't get the three point record. That's too bad. But I do appreciate uh, him going for it. I do appreciate him trying. He will probably get it unless he sits against San Antonio, which I actually wouldn't be surprised to be sad. I think Denver could probably rest him and be okay. But either way, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow night as we probably hop on with a guest and get to talk our stuff with about the Nuggets and talk our stuff about the rest of the NBA. Should be a lot of fun. Hit that like button on the way out, everybody. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for hanging out. Talk to you guys very soon.